Hey everybody, it's Keith. Let's talk about Afghanistan real quick. This is a major topic, obviously, that people are chiming in on here and there. And I guess I just want to make a couple of points that I don't feel are highlighted enough on this topic. So just my quick version of a recap is that this country between the Middle East and South Asia was invaded in an act of war by the USA in 2002-ish, following 9-11, by the George W. Bush administration. And the U.S. has been occupying this country for 20 years, along with many other countries. It's not like only America was fighting this war, but it was leading it. And this was kind of in the broad scope of this war on terror, or even more broadly, this kind of spreading of democracy and liberation, uh, hawkish foreign policy that neoconservatives have had for a long time, but definitely... Ronald Reagan epitomized this in Central America, toppling certain kind of democratic regimes or other regimes and instilling his own kind of puppet totalitarian states that were business friendly. And I think that that really highlights the two interests, at least, that the USA has as a foreign policy in general, which is to, quote, democratize, but more importantly, to create peaceful trade partners. And the attempt was done uh, during Bush's reign in Iraq as well. And they're pretty similar situations from my perspective, both catastrophic failures. And I want to kind of just quickly analyze why I think that is. And it brings me to my first major point that I don't feel is highlighted enough in the media, which is that Is this even a real country? It's a question. I can't assert that it's not exactly because it has a long, you know, many thousand year history of kind of being a place. So it's been ruled by various kingdoms and caliphates and empires. And there's this been there's this there's been this conception of Afghanistan, generally speaking, for a long, long time. So in in a sense, Okay, it's a real place, but when I look at the ethnic map of Afghanistan, I see at least four major ethnic groups that are essentially vying for coexistence or something like that. And it makes me wonder if this should even be a country. And perhaps why America's plan here, its policy has failed, because this is not a governable, sovereign place. This is an an entirely uh, fabricated mishmash of different people. The Pashtuns make up the biggest ethnic group at like 42%, and then the Tajiks at 27. But then you have large minorities of Uzbekis and uh, and others, and it's it's disparate, not unlike Iraq, which is uh, uh, Shia Muslim bordering Iran, and Sunni Muslim bordering 
Saudi Arabia and Kurds, which don't have a state, but what we can kind of colloquially call Kurdistan in the north. And this is my major issue with the world in general as a traveler, as a thinker, as a uh, just conceptually and also as a peacemaker. My idea would be to recognize nations and peacefully exist with them as opposed to conquering each other and warring for resources with each other. I like the U.S.'s policy of free trade. Of course, it could be fairer trade, but that's beside the point. Or perhaps not if we get into the resources uh, lying within Afghanistan. It's very rich with these minerals. I like this concept. And I even like this kind of more hawkish concept of, quote, spreading democracy. But it's more of an issue of how, right? Which is why everyone is criticizing the U.S.'s pullout of Afghanistan because it's so bungled and botched. It's just ridiculous how we're not looking after the people to whom we have obligations to protect. And I don't know the details here. Uh, I trust that everything I've heard is on the mark that we're abandoning interpreters and uh, soldiers we've trained and uh, bureaucrats and whomever, not to mention the women and the children who are threatened very much by the Taliban who is taking over. And if you want to include animals (laughs) and maybe even the environment, You could throw that stuff in as well. Basically, you have this kind of tension of the benevolent father figure and the tyrannical father figure. And leftists will obviously complain about the tyrannical father figure and how the U.S. and the West in general has no business being anywhere and that we should just get out and that it's our own imperialism that has ruined such places. And I get it. I kind of see that point. But from another angle, I do think that the Western way of life is something to aspire for. Uh, Our values are kind of dormant at the moment. It's not clear what we really believe in, and that's a huge problem that I'm going to get to in a second. But our mission and our, uh, our spoils our technology, our advancements, our, uh, you know, our modernization are coveted by the world. And it does kind of make sense to help the rest of the world come on up into this kind of developed life. I mean, we literally define the world between developed countries and undeveloped or developing countries. And for sure, Afghanistan is developing very much so. And this is something to really consider carefully because it's unclear, I think, definitely to the layperson, but also to our foreign policy leaders, how we help developing countries more quickly develop. And I suppose we include in that um, an eco economic and political structure that resembles our own, like... Um, essentially 
democratic capitalism. Now, democracy is a really unhelpful word, in my opinion, because it's basically like mob rule, you know, or it's basically like, um, I don't think it's that tenable if you're like, if you're having really close elections, or if you have obviously two different groups of people that are constantly fighting with each other, you know, like in the US, we do have the left and the right that are like almost split in half and hate each other. And it seems untenable to me because we don't have, we're not in touch with our common values. We feel very divided. And you see this all over the place. You see it in South Africa between whites and blacks. You see it in Belgium between French and Dutch. You see it in Iraq between Sunni and Shia. And you see it here in Afghanistan. And it's a problem. It's a fundamental problem, which makes me again assert maybe this is not a country worth saving. And not that doesn't mean let's ignore it and let them kill each other and just suffer. It means maybe this country on paper should no longer exist and it should be broken up and more properly uh, identified by clar- uh, clarifying which groups exist where and with whom they share culture and uh, family structures and tribal behaviors and to draw better borders for such groups. You know, I'm looking right now at this map and it's just really obvious that uh, a certain group uh, like the Uzbekis, they obviously share this border with Uzbekistan to the north. Like, why not make it part of Uzbekistan? Like, what's the point of having this nation divided? Well, I know the point. This was done by the USSR. Stalin did this on purpose. Uh, It might have been before that, actually. It's been ruled several times, and it has this, you know, this reputation of being this kind of country where empires go to die because no empire can conquer it. But this was under the jurisdiction of Russia at some point. And before that, you know, um, Mongols, uh, you know, raided this place. And it's been, it had its kind of golden age during the Silk Road era, like, you know, a thousand years ago where it was kind of at the interstice of the far west, or sorry, the far east and the Middle East and Europe. So like, it's obviously this like ancient trading point uh, that's less relevant now with shipping, but it's, it's at, it's been um, a significant place, but at this point, I'm not sure what that place is. And to me, it seems like past rulers have had this divide and conquer attitude. Whereas if we draw a line through the Uzbeki population, then the Uzbeks will have less uh, nationalism, less sovereignty, less identity. And, you know, it's same for the Bagadeshi or the Pashtun people. And, you know, the border with Pakistan is pretty porous in the mountains. And this is how the Taliban has continued to like gain strength because it just goes into Pakistan, you know, re-ups its powers and then comes back into Afghanistan to fight. And I just it just makes me think like just cut this part of this land off. I mean, not literally as instead of cutting it off, I should say, unite these people together. I don't know if these this should be part of Pakistan or if there should be this other country between these two. But this is a people group. 
an identifiable people group with a language. And it's separate, for instance, from the Uzbeks in the north. It's separate. You have a few others. And my point is that why are we forcing our current borders that we all know are stupid and made up by these remnants of, for instance, the British Empire, right? Like Iraq and the Levant and the Middle East in general is so obviously poorly drawn and mapped on purpose, often, sometimes out of ignorance, to divide people. Why not let them unite? Who, who is, why are we telling this country to exist at all? If you let this kind of country crumble, Syria is another example, let these countries crumble, let their constitutions die off, and let a power emerge that can unite its own people, like the Kurds. Let, the, let Kurdistan exist. Now, what's in the way of that? Not Iraq, because there's no clear power there. Uh, Syria is a mess, but it still does have Assad as president, who would not let, you know, the Kurds take part of their land there. And then you have Turkey to the north. And of course, Erdogan and the Turks would not allow part of their land to be taken and given to Kurdistan. But you could lead up to it, for instance, like with Tibet. You know, Tibet is part of China, unfortunately. But at least it has this autonomy. You know, it's an autonomous region within China. It speaks its own language. It has its own culture. It's, you know, it's Buddhist. So at least do that kind of stuff. And I just wonder, you know, I'm not a policy wonk. I don't, and I'm not intending to get into the weeds here with like exactly how we were doing this in the last 20 years, but I would have hoped that this is the kind of thing we should have been doing rather than trying to find a Saddam Hussein figure or some, you know, you know, one of these Central Central American dictators in the 80s who just like rule with an iron fist and trade with America and, you know, dig up its resources and give it to us cheaply. Like, obviously this is stupid, you know, that's a stupid, you know, thing to do. And I'm fully leftist in this regard. Like that's neoconservative policy is stupid because it's, it's short-sighted and it's, it's forceful and you can't force these things. You're going to foment rage and hostility. And I think that the 20th century taught us that with world war one and two in Europe. And, you know, I'm living right now in modern Europe, and I, I actually have to say that I believe in nation states, because when you can identify a people group like Germans or French or Italians and uh, give each nation its own sovereignty, you promote peace instead of, you know, like this is something that classically like... Uh, dictators and warlords have always done and hitler is just one of many that did this where you just have this hubris of i want to take my neighbor's land and women and kill all of the guys like this is not new hitler was not <laughs> did not invent doing that um it's been a long time of human history that you know lands have been conquered like that and that's a big topic uh, I think that American imperialism is rather exceptional that it doesn't do that. All it wants to do is influence places to trade with it. And I think that's cool. I just think it's doing it wrong. 
And I think that this neocon policy is just obviously wrong. And I think that the backlash to that from the far left and the far right, including Trump, it makes sense that people want to become isolationist now because it's like, oh my gosh, what a waste of money. We could have forgiven student debt. We could have given everyone free health care for the price we spent on this fucking 20-year war, right? And I agree. But at the same time, there is something cool about promoting a very functional and prosperous lifestyle to others. I mean, this is what the U.S. did for Western Europe after World War II, and Western Europe is cool. It's prosperous, and human rights, like, there's nowhere else in the world that's higher than, you know, especially Scandinavia with human rights. It's like, how do you get there? Well, you promote free slash fair trade, education, democracy, and you maybe dial down religion. And then you recognize sovereignty of people groups like the Swedes and the Norwegians and the Danes. You know, like this is how you do that. I think Europe still has some way to go. You know, there are still some countries that don't seem like real countries. Obviously, you have the Balkans, which was maybe a forced group of people. Uh, that were split on religious lines, unfortunately, even though they all kind of spoke this Yugoslavian language. Religion's a big deal. Like, I don't know if people really appreciate how powerful religion is. People think that it doesn't matter and that you can just boil it down to a lack of, you know, education or resources and that people would get along despite their religions if you had those things. And it's not true. It's just not true. I think what people fail to realize with the USA is that we have our own religion which is this enlightenment age of reason and rationality, but with a fundamental Christian message of do unto others and live and let live, you know, this libertarian, but like treat people nice kind of attitude. This is quasi-religious. And it's like most of the world doesn't think that way, frankly. It's a new thing. That's what the Enlightenment was when the U.S. Constitution was written. It was new, guys. It was like America was the first place to ever do that, which is cool. So I'm kind of feeling patriotic right now because I'm proud to come from a place with a secular constitution that defines itself not by ethnicity or religion, but by this kind of way of life and this way of thinking that is very capitalist because it's founded on this competition which creates an excellent culture and sports and thinking and invention but also democratic and that all men are created equal and that that all humans are created equal and that everyone can be something you know you can prosper here you can you know it's true it's fucking true, and it still happens, you know? It happened through the 1900s with, like, my family heritage of Armenians and Koreans, and, you know, you have Japanese, you have uh, Italians and Poles, you have now Mexicans, you have other Latin Americans, and you have Indians and Chinese. Everyone can come to America with this kind of fundamental belief in what America supposedly stands for. What does Afghanistan stand for? Well... The only group making a real case for that are radical Islamists and the Taliban. 
And this is my other point that people don't really seem to be talking enough about. Jihad is a real thing. Jihad is a real thing. If you look up jihad, you might find a definition like an inner struggle, like to accept God in your heart. Maybe that's your Western interpretation of it, like this, like, you know, deep down search for faith. Jihad can mean that. It can mean that, but it also very explicitly means an outer struggle with the world for the world to accept the word of God, of Allah, and to be faithful and to submit. And I don't know if Americans especially fully appreciate that. Jihad is holy war, and holy war is not cool, period. It sucks. And there is a jihad on earth right now in a lot of places, in a lot of places, basically on the borders of the Islamic world. There is jihad because Islam is founded as a totalitarian religion, meaning politics included, government included, as well as lifestyle, full lifestyle, full, you know, etiquette and, uh, Everything that you can do in your life, Islam tells you how to do it, including how to run a country. In Christianity, we have this idea that Jesus said, leave unto Caesar that which is his, which is like separate church and state, which is awesome because I don't want to be governed by people's crazy religious beliefs. And the West has really prospered because of that, Protestantism specifically, Anglo-Saxon and Dutch Protestantism. basically founded the immense prosperity of the last 300 years. And we might be even losing that. Like no one has any touch of religion nowadays. And there's this vacuum actually in the West, like what do we even believe in anymore? And we have such doubt that we grasp at straws for something like political correctness and being woke. This is a new religion. It's like take those Christian fundamental principles of, you know, preventing harm to people and being kind and extend them radically. And that's a whole other topic um, that I've criticized plenty, but it is religious, I should point out. And it's not as powerful. (laughs) It's not as all-encompassing, even though it really is encompassing because there's no end to uh, the oppression Olympics and intersectionality. There's no end to it at all. But it's not as total as Islam. Islam has spread throughout its history. It was founded in around 700. And since then, it has spread intensely throughout the Middle East into Northern Africa, into Europe, through, uh, you know, across the Bosphorus, from, uh, you know, mo- modern-day Turkey into the Balkans, uh, and up through the Iberian Peninsula into Spain, and into Asia, which is, you know, across this Silk Road, how you end up with so many Muslims in India, how you get a Pakistan, how you get a Bangladesh, and how Indonesia is predominantly radical Muslim because Islam spreads through holy war. These places were conquered by through war. Now contrast that again with Christianity. Christianity spread through 
missionaries. Missionaries peacefully spread Christianity around the world. There was no war with South Korea for it to become Christian. There was no war with the Philippines. Actually, that's, that's not true. There was. Um, you know, the people that came over to America, you know, they might have genocided the native people in the states of, or the new land of America, but they weren't spreading uh, Christianity to them per se. They were just reproducing (laughs) and um you know this is how you get so many christians whereas with islam i don't know if people fully understand that you know think about the crusades you know we tend to like hate on the crusades we think that was this terrible thing that uh you know christianity is so violent and dangerous because we had these crusades which were these these efforts from the catholic church for the west for the Roman Empire, essentially, to retake the Levant because Islam took over Jerusalem and Israel. It took it over, and it spread north and north and west and west, and it took over, eventually, uh, the Byzantine Empire, you know, and then Constantinople fell, and it became Istanbul. This is how that happened, through holy war, guys. So it wasn't like Christians were starting this war, the Muslims were starting this war, taking over Europe. And then even the Spanish Inquisition, which we think of as this terrible thing as well, and it was brutal. But what was that? That was the Moors coming up through Morocco and taking over Spain and Portugal, taking over the peninsula. And the reconquista, the reconquering of this land for European Christianity is what I mean, that happened, and in order for that to stay, <laughs> in order for that to, to like, uh, to keep, you had this inquisition to make sure that everybody was Christian and not Muslim, because Islam spread, and that's what is still happening, you know, it's still happening in, in the Sahel region of Africa, like every terrorist attack you hear about in Niger or Nigeria or in you know, South Sudan, like breaking off from Sudan. These are religious differences because Sub-Saharan Africa is largely Christian and the Sahara, which is basically just more of the, you know, Arab world, Northern, Northern Africans identify as Arab at this point because they've been taken over so thoroughly. It's creeping as far down as it can. It wants to take over everything. That's the point. Jihad is real. It spreads by definition. This is a problem. And a lot of thinkers like Sam Harris and Majid Nawaz and others, Ayan Hirsi Ali and other reformers or other, you know, and um, ex-Muslims and atheists, they want to reform this religion so that it doesn't have this built into it, that people can just relax and modernize and no longer conquer and have this attitude of total, total conquering and ownership of the planet. But that's what exists right now. And places like groups like the Taliban or ISIS are like the pure, you know, <laughs> the purest cut of this, you know, the like absolutely distilled version of these religious texts is what these guys are preaching and doing. And it's awful because it involves a lot of suffering and pain and terrible things. And I think it does make sense to stop that. I think it makes sense. Like the war on terror is fair enough as a principle. You could even call it more explicitly 
a war against jihad. It kind of is a holy war, guys. Like, now I'm not trying to sound just like a total Islamophobe. Obviously, I'm critical of it. I'm happy to talk about the, I'm not Christian. I'm happy, happy to, you know, criticize Christianity, but that's not the point here. Afghanistan is not failing because of Christianity, <laughs> you know? And I think it makes a lot of sense as a foundational principle that somewhere like America, which has been the de facto world power for the last 70 years, takes a leading role in modernizing the planet through spreading democracy and capitalism. It makes tons of sense. It's just gone about it terribly. That's all. But it's done it well, you know, with the, uh, with the MacArthur, uh, was that a treaty? <laughs> I want to say grant. That's obviously wrong. In Western Europe, like the reason why Western Europe is so much more prosperous than Eastern Europe is because capitalism and democracy are better than communism, guys. Like it's very evident. It's very evident. Like this is a silly thing to fight that communism is good. It's like very much not good. And communism infiltrated Afghanistan. And that was like kind of the death knell of its, you know, golden age, if if it was still going on. And places should develop and get to this level of prosperity. But I think it's kind of wrong to force it on a place that's not ready, let's say. And this is like the most funny thing to me because it's like at once you have woke leftists saying, you know, there's this thing of, you know, cultural relativism like who are we to say that it's wrong to cut off the clit of a little girl who who are we to say that who do we say that it's wrong to like honor kill your sister because she you know uh shamed the family like it's not our place to judge this other culture like this is insane levels of mental gymnastics when i hear that like you don't want to condemn that are you serious And yet at the same time, we have like the UN Twitter account literally, you know, practicing woke uh, behavior, woke capitalism. I've called it before in another podcast. Obviously, they're not a, uh, a business, but you have the UN like masquerading in the most woke terminology of like spreading feminism to the world. Afghanistan is not ready for feminism. It doesn't even know what that really means, you know? Like, Afghanistan is a tribal place, by and large, outside of Kabul. And you talk to the elders there. You go on real humanitarian missions. You try and, like, even, like, educate the girls there. Like, educating girls is one thing. Like, I am in full support of it. I want to see that happen. Maybe even that is too large a step for certain tribes to take. I don't know. I I don't know this stuff, but I'm just speaking hypothetically. You can't go in and talk about like the gender pay gap in Afghanistan. You'll, you'll be laughed out of the room. Like you'll be killed, frankly, at this point. So on one hand, we have these like insane woke levels of, uh, current modern (laughs) democratic capitalism. And then we have like this blind eye and, Somewhere in there, you have this kind of neocon agenda of going in there and, you know, fixing up everything and modernizing these places. And obviously, we don't know what we're doing because it didn't work. 
but again, I would just start with a place like, you know, like let Iraq fall, let the Sunnis break off and join their neighbors to the south and to the west. Let the Shias break off and join Iran. Let that happen. Dissolve Iraq. Help do that. You know, that would be so cool if that's what the American plan was, or better yet, the United Nations plan that America helped fund and and populate. Like that's what global peacekeeping should be about: recognizing people groups and helping them in the ways they need help. And if they feel divided from their people, that's a problem to solve. If they feel in, uh, in like irreconcilable differences of tension with their, you know, with the other groups that are forced into this, you know, this boundary, then let them divorce. Like there's nothing wrong with that. Like, I don't know where we get this idea that like, you know, splitting up countries is this terrible thing. Obviously the U S has this bias because of our civil war, but you know, I'm still of the belief that maybe the South should be its own country, frankly. I mean, I'm happy that it doesn't have slavery. Very happy about that. But at the same time, it's such a different place culturally and with such different heritage. Like, maybe it should be its own country. Like, I'd be happy with that personally. I would be happy if California was its own country. I have these kind of grand schemes of how to divide up the world as a traveler, especially like when I go places. I like to see what that place is. What is America? It's too fucking big to say, you know? It's too big to tell. What is Afghanistan? Why is it a mess? It's a mess because we're forcing it to be a place. And there's a power vacuum because no one can rule such a place. And now you have radical jihadists taking it over because who else would? Who else would have such fervor and passion to do so? So those are my thoughts, you know, like I just wanted to put that, put that out there. Cause I just see so much like consternation and like, you know, hand wringing. And it's like really hard to say like, Oh, should we have stayed? Was it good that we were there? Why would, why did we go there? Should we have never invaded? Like how could we have done this better? And I think it's a really valid and important autopsy to do because it's, it's just very telling, but it's sad because it's like, it shows America's impotence and stupidity and it's even a bad look for our version of like western democracy you know we have china to contend contend with on the global uh stage you know and everyone that hates america and thinks that you know wherever you live in you know san diego is like the worst place ever like <laughs> go to china go to india go to afghanistan are you kidding me like you're insane if you think that America is so bad. And it's worth saving, frankly. It's worth fixing and protecting and spreading even. Like, not by force, not by shooting anybody, but by, like, showing, like, this is how we became prosperous. You have the resources in the ground. You have smart people in your million-plus population, you know? Like, here's how we did it. Here's our constitution. You can borrow it, just like the French and so many others did go and we'll help you like that's what the u.s and more importantly the u.n should be doing and i just think we're kind of looking at this wrong like it's not the case that these people are so backwards and stupid that they don't know how to be modern and they, they can't handle democracy or capitalism it's not true like it just takes some time and it takes some, like better teaching let's say you know when a when a class fails blame the teacher not the students 
And it's not true that there's this cultural relativism, relativism that maybe the Taliban is the best thing for Afghanistan. Like, fuck that. It's bullshit, you guys. Like, there's no way that's the case. That, like, backward-thinking, like, militant thugs are the best ruling class for this place on Earth. You know, it doesn't make any sense. And I just, I can't understand those two levels of thinking on the polar extremes or the political extremes. So I wanted to offer this as like some insight. Like I'm not, I don't have the answers, but I do know that it's worth considering what places really are like, why even try and govern a place? Like you have to start with something. And I think a nation is the place to start. And that could be an ethnic group. It could be a religious group. It could be a cultural group like Californians, you know, it could be, uh, whatever, but like define that and then see where the, where those boundaries are and then deal with the neighbors of like the, where you p- build the fence, you know, metaphorically, because borders promote peace. That's why I like them. They promote peace, safety, security. People feel protected. They feel like they have a home. They feel like they, you know, walls are good. Houses are good. So let's not get into the no borders kind of thing define better borders and then define the constitution, define what rules this place. And I think that actually uh, trade, free and fair trade is a great place to start. And then just build a political system around that, you know, like we call it democracy, but you know, that could also be really bad. Um, Americans didn't like it when their president lost, you know what I mean? All right, so I'll leave it there. Um, Yeah, just wanted to get that out there. I had recorded this before, but I wasn't quite happy with it. I guess I'll leave this one as it is. Until next time, guys. Ciao.